And I'm going to read verses 22 to 33 this evening. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. So let men to love their own wa- their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The title of the message tonight, Love and Reverence, Keys to Marriage. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have in the word of God all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. So I pray tonight as we look unto this passage once again, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, help me, and give wisdom in handling the word of God, and I pray that the spirit of God would do his work and just encourage us, challenge us, and convict where conviction is needed. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in a world that is very hostile to the home, very hostile, even subtly hostile. And the home, of course, is a central strength of any society. Um. <clears throat> I was thinking about this the other day, and, and I think it was 1973. Don't quote me on that year, but, but I was in that, uh, uh, where, where was I? Anyway, um, I was working, you know, of course, farming, at, not farming then. It was later. Uh, I think I was in an FH, Farm Home Administration office where you can get, farm loans, and of course you can get housing loans that are um, government, they're government loans-like, you know, sort of. Anyway, they're supposed to be a little lower interest rates, and I was in there one day, and uh, I was told that I think at some point in time when that the wife's income was added to the income that was re- put on a on a application to buy a home, and immediately, almost immediately, homes doubled. You know, even if it was just a babysitting. Not not just talking about just full time work. Yeah, I mean the government has a record of that anyway uh, through Social Security. But but you know, even, no matter what it was, it was it was required to be added, and immediately homes doubled. Again, what's that do? It makes it more difficult to buy a home on one income. Uh, but in our, in our society, you know, of course, there's a lot of other factors, but, 
in our society, you know, the hostility to home, men don't want to take responsibility and lead their homes. And with the rise of the feminist movement, women think it's second rate to be a wife and a mother. And often seek, you know, other avenues of, uh, of uh, means and, and, you know, and that becomes primary and foremost in their lives and that's how they uh, validate themselves, uh, you know, as employment outside the home. Not saying it's, it's wrong to ever have employment outside the home, but, but, you know, being a mother and wife is considered second rate. You know, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. Uh, try it sometime. Chuck Goffey, I remember him saying one time his wife had a baby and he came home on leave to take care of the household. He said, after a week of that, I wanted to shoot myself. Um, it's not easy. It, it's, you know, just, as, you know, being a, being a husband's not easy. Being a wife and a mother is not easy either. But God gives us some things here in his word, I think, that, we need, that they'll help us. And again, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I remember Bob Mitchell saying one time, and this was years ago, they had a family in their church and had four grown children. I mean, these children were like 28, 29, 30, you know, in that age, and they were not married. Never even had boyfriends or girlfriends, I don't think. Well, one of them did at one point. He, had a, he, he, he went to see a young lady, and they had a little disagreement. And so he goes home, and he was telling his dad about this disagreement, and his dad said, well, son, if you're having disagreements already, how in the world are you ever going to survive a marriage? And Bob said, I wanted to laugh because he said, doesn't he realize that Kathy and I have a fight every week? <laughs> he says, it's real life. You know. I mean, it's like Bob Hitchens used to say, assistant pastor at Maryland, if two, two people that live in the same house agree on everything, one's not thinking. So there's no such thing as a perfect home. We're, we're sinful creatures. And we all like to have our own way and do our own thing. And so we, have to, we, have, we struggle with the fallen nature. But God gives us some things here, I think some keys to a successful marriage. First of all, we'll look at the husband's responsibility. The husband's responsibility is to love his wife. And I have three things here under that, that description of love. Number one, first of all, he's to nourish her. Nourish her. Notice verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Now it says here he's to nourish her. And of course, verse 25 says that he gave, uh, even as, as Christ. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of there's that even as it's used several times in this passage. So he's comparing, and you know, we can we can learn from God's the Lord's relationship with His church how our marriages ought to work and operate. Christ gave Himself for the church, for His churches. In other words, He sacrificed for the church. He provided for the church. And the word nourish really kind of has that meaning. It means here to supply what is necessary for life, health, growth, to strengthen, to build up. So 
It's really providing for. It's providing for her needs. Now we understand from the scriptures that that the man is to be the breadwinner. You know, we, we even have in our society stay-at-home dads. I know one I went to school with. I'm thinking, there is no way in this world I would do that. It, to me, it just doesn't seem manly. I'm sorry. It seems, eh. Now, he's not a, eh, but, you know, it just makes me wonder about him. Uh, but I did meet her, and I sort of understand, I think. But anyway, moving right along. <laughs> moving right along. The man is to be the provider. He's to be the provider. He's responsible before God to be the provider. Young ladies, don't ever consider a man for a husband who's lazy. Don't even think about it. He's worthless. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You know, and the same is true about a young lady, guys. If she's lazy, don't waste your time. Uh, I was reading the other day some, some little captions, and this one old gentleman said to, to a group of young men, he said, if you go to the house of a young lady that you're, you're going to court, and she says, could you give me 30 minutes? My mother's still washing dishes, and I need to help her. He said, you wait the 30 minutes for her. But if she says, oh, that's okay. Mom can finish the dishes. Let's just go. Run away. Run away. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now, notice what it says here. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every... What's the next word? It doesn't say anything about sisters. It specifically targets the men here. Now, there are other passages talk about women being busybodies and idols. 1 Timothy talks about that, you know, that they're not to be. But we're talking about here that people that are supposed to be the providers for their homes. That's what we're referring to here. These men at Thessalonica, you know, they, they, Paul had talked about the, second, the Lord coming, and so some of them had thought, well, he's coming. Well, let's just wait around until he comes. And then we're working. No, every brother that walketh disordered not after the tradition which received of us. And, of course, we know what, if you read the context here in verse uh, 10, it says, For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So much for welfare. No, he's to nourish. He's to provide for her. Provide for her. So it's the man's responsibility to provide for, see that her needs are taken care of and those of the household. So nourish her. Second thing we see here is he's to cherish her. Again, in verse 29, it says that, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, 
even as, notice, there's that even as, the Lord, the church. So just like the Lord does to the church, the husband is to the wife. Now the word cherish here means to foster with tender care. To warm or keep warm. So it's to treat, and I looked up one of the, uh, the English def- in, in, in the dictionary.com said this, to treat as dear, to cling fondly to, to hold an estimation of worth or appreciation. Look at First, first uh, Peter chapter 3, First Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3 also speaks about some of these things. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor, that's the idea of holding an estimation of worth, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So we're to dwell with her according to knowledge. That means, that means you need to study her. Get to know your wife. And you know, that takes, that's an interesting study. You know, we men think women are interesting. And women think we men are just different. Uh, but, but, you know, we, it, we, it means, you know, it says dwell according to knowledge, so that means you need to get to know her. That takes time. Takes time, takes effort. It speaks of dedication, of devotion to her, to see that she is, again, to see that she is provided for, she's loved, there's affection given. Keep warm. Little romance. Women like romance. Or flowers or chocolates. Uh, they like, you know, re- receive texts that they're being thought of. You know, they like being pursued. By the way, you know, he says, even as the Lord, the church, did you pursue the Lord or has he pursued you? Bible says that he seeketh such to worship him. God pursued us. God came looking for Adam. Where art thou, Adam? Where are you? You know, continue, you think about it, through the you know, even throughout the Old Testament, God came seeking his his people through the prophets, testifying to them of their need. God was continually seeking them to get right with him. So cherish. Well, I want you to notice a third thing. <clears throat> also, and, and think about what the Lord does. The Lord also, to his church, he chastens it or corrects it. Notice verse 23 again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that they might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So it men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, when you got saved, did you have any spots or wrinkles in your life? Spiritually, how'd you get rid of them? The Lord begins to work in your life. He begins to correct, instruct, and correct you and I. You see, for us to be sanctified, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the Word. For us to be sanctified, we must receive correction or instruction. And the husband is the Lord in the marriage. It's his responsibility. He must lead. He must command. And he must correct when needed. Now, you may say, well, as a lady, you may say, I don't like that. Well, you know what? I really don't like it either. Because it's a lot of responsibility and accountability. It isn't always the most prized place or position to be in. You know, Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Go to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. And the Lord you know, expands upon this a little bit when in, the, in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 30. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 30 and verse 1 says, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord, and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow, and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace with her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. And if she had an all, an husband, when she vowed or uttered aught of her lips wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. But every vow of a widow, and her that is divorced, wherewith they have bound their souls, shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house, or bound her soul by a bound with an oath, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her, and disallowed her not, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband hath utterly made them void on the day he heard them, 
Then whatsoever proceedeth out of her lips concerning her vows and concerning the bond of her soul shall not stand. Her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her. See, the husband here had the responsibility to correct or change what his wife said she was going to do. You know, this is given, of course, this is given for her protection. You know, when we're under an authority, we're under an authority for not only to be led, but to be protected. You know, if you submit to the authority of the state, they're there for our protection. But if you rebel, you're no longer protected. You're sought after as a criminal. And so, you know, the husband has the responsibility as being the head of the wife, the responsibility to correct when needed. Correct when needed. Now, let's go to the wives. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We have three things. The wife has two. Anyway, wife's instructions, verse 22 and verse 24, first of all is to submit. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, the word submit, of course, means to yield to one's control or to one's admonition or advice or commands. You know, and again, it's as unto the Lord, even as the church is to Christ. You know, the, the, the church is to obey all that Christ commanded not what he suggested. He didn't give any suggestions. In fact, he didn't, he didn't even preface anything with please. Or, now dear, this is best. He just simply said, go ye. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. He just simply said that be a living sacrifice, which is acceptable to me. Not what you think, but to me. So the wife is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. You know, as if it's to the Lord. Because it really is to the Lord. By the way, a husband's to love his wife. You know, a husband is, a, is, is under submission also. He's to be submitted to the Lord. He's to be under the leadership of the Lord. But the second word we see here is the word reverence. It's found in verse 33. It says in verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now the word reverence means to venerate or to treat with deference, 
or reverential obedience. And it's used of devout worshipers. So it's really the idea of to worship. Now we know that we're not supposed to worship any man, husband, wife, children, whatever. We're not to love them more than we love God. But we are to give reverence. You know, we're all, of course, we are to reverence the Lord, but a wife is to reverence her husband. It means to give deference. The word deference means respectful submission. You know, we talk about children obeying your parents and Lord, and then it says, honor thy father and mother. You know, it's possible to obey without honoring. But it's not possible to honor without obeying. And that's the idea here. Uh, respectful submission or yielding to the judgment, opinion, the will, etc., of, of another. Um and again, it carries with it being you know, respectful and courteous and so on and so forth. And again, this requires a surrender of the will. And all this does. You know, for a husband to love his wife requires that and, and give himself. Give himself. Requires a surrender of his own will. Take care of her. See that she needs to take, that she is taken care of. Uh, it's not just lip service. You know, Jesus spoke about the Pharisees. He said, "This people draweth nigh me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me." So it's a matter of the heart. And of course, this also this reverence requires a knowledge of what pleases Him. You know, how can you please the Lord if you really don't know Him? It's impossible. How can you reverence or please your husband if you really don't know him? You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, we need to study the word so we can understand how we can worship the Lord. And a wife needs to study her husband so she can know how she can reverence or, again, it means to worship. Not in the same way that she worships the Lord, but to worship her husband or please him. So why should you need to study and observe your husband also? If, if we don't know what pleases our wives or our husbands, if we don't know what pleases the Lord, who's at fault? You know, sometimes I fear that maybe we are trying to do what we think pleases others instead of what pleases him. And so there has to be a genuine interest in the other person, a genuine care and respect for. And and this will of course there's those several things. Number one, it'll affect how you talk. How you talk. By the way, a husband that loves his wife isn't going to berate her. You know, Jesus doesn't, you know, in fact, you know, Jesus said that, that, that a, a said of the Lord that a bruised reed will he not break. 
In other words, those that were already beaten down, he wasn't going to beat down further or berate them. The Bible says the common people heard him gladly. He spoke words of life. But it will affect how you speak. Now, I don't speak to Pastor Webb like I do to Daniel. I just say to Daniel, Daniel, go mow the grass. Now, I would not say to Brother Webb, go mow the grass even if it was own grass. I wouldn't even tell Nathan that. Because Nathan's not under my authority anymore. But he is. You see, I'd speak differently to Nathan than I would to Daniel. Because Nathan's, he's got his own home. He's not under my authority anymore. You know, how do you speak to your husband? You shouldn't speak to your husband like you speak to your kids. They're not your kids. Your children are to be commanded. They are under authority. Abraham said, or it was spoken of Abraham, that he would command his children and his household after him. Again, the Lord simply commands us. He commands us. Now, he doesn't berate us or belittle us. You know, that's, that's not right, but... But he does, he does command us. You know, a wife should not correct her husband. Now, no, hear me through on this. You know, there are two, two women in the Bible who corrected her husbands that I can think of. One was Jezebel. And the other one was Michael. You know what happened to Michael? She was put in a house and lived in widowhood for the rest of her life because she tried to correct King David for the way he acted, dancing in the streets, acting like a common man and not acting like a king. And she said, you acted so foolishly today. And she lived in widowhood. She never had any children rest of her life. You know, the church doesn't correct Christ. No, Christ does the church. Proverbs 21.9 says this, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. Proverbs 25.24, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. This come out of the under construction, pardon the mess. It's a book of clippings, Bible illustrations. And this one goes like this. I heard a boy who wanted to know how war started, so he asked his dad. Well, said dad, suppose America quarreled with England and, but interrupted the mother. America must never quarrel with England. I know, said the father, but almost taking a hypothetical instance. You are misleading the child protested the mother. I am not, shouted the father. Never mind, put it in the boy. I know how war started. 
Or have you ever heard a conversation like this? When I was at the lake, I caught a fish that went over three pounds. Now, Henry, you know that fish only weighed two and pounds and a half. Why do you want to sit there and lie? As I was saying, here I was trying to get that 23-inch fish in without a net. Now, Henry, when are you going to start telling the truth? That fish wasn't a bit over 18 inches. And the writer says, many an otherwise good marriage has been ruined by a sharp-tongued wife. Such a tongue lashing is almost a form of capital punishment. Someone said, a tongue three inches long can destroy a man six foot tall. When I was in Maine, I took a missionary to visit a man. He had some drinking problems. His wife was a member of a church. So we sat down. He was, he was actually at home. So we sat down, and I had witnessed to him many times, but it, we sat down, and the missionary began to talk to him, and, and he began to ask him some questions. He said, he said, do you sin? And the woman said, who him? <laughs> the man immediately got out of his chair, walked over to the basement door, and went to the basement. The missionary got up out of his chair and walked out the door, and I followed him. And I got in the car, and that missionary said, that woman just sent that man to hell. You see, if you want to make your husband a milk toast or a mealy mouse, criticize and correct him. <clears throat> you know, does your husband look forward to coming home tonight, home, home to you at night? Does it appear he doesn't want to talk to you? You know, a man can, somebody said a man can conquer anything the world throws at him if he has a wife at home who adores him. But one thing a man can't take is criticism and correction from a wife. You see, how is a wife supposed to talk or express differences to her husband? She's to entreat. Proverbs 19.6 says this, Many will entreat the favor of a prince. In other words, you're not going to criticize or correct a prince you're going to entreat him. 1 Timothy 5.1 says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. If there was a problem between Pastor Webb and I, I wouldn't go and just, oh, no, you, I'm just going to straighten you. No, I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd begin to entreat him, to implore. The, the word implore means to beg urgently or piteously as for aid or mercy. Now, if I've got a problem with Daniel, I'm going to go straighten him out. I'm going to correct him. Well, I wouldn't talk that way, Pastor Webb. Nor should a wife to her husband. The best example I could think of of this is Esther. 
You know, Esther was married. How do I want to say this? To a rich fool. In a lot of ways. And of course, you know the story how Haman trumped up this thing to get, and got him to sign this decree to kill all the Jews because of Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And of course, Esther's a Jew. And so uh, Mordecai commands Esther, who's like his daughter, to go and entreat to Hazarus for her people. Now, she didn't go to him and say, look, Hazy." Do you realize what you just signed? Do you know how many people in places and positions of influence and wealth this will destroy? Do you understand the division this will bring to your kingdom? Do you understand that? Now, was that all true? Yeah, it was. Every bit of that's true. But what would that have said to the king? It really would have been an attack on his person. And really, what you could say is, she's saying, do you realize how dumb you really are? No, she didn't do any of that. You know what she just did? She just asked, begged, for the lives of her people. She didn't even ask for vengeance. The vengeance came because he asked, who dare do such a thing? And she pointed him out. But all she asked for was the lives of her people. She begged him. She entreated him. Now, in a relationship like this, I think that's what brings about what we read of in verse 31. Notice verse 31. You know, I've, I've often wondered, why is verse 31 stuck in here? What's it have to do with this? Well, this is what it is. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. If you want a loving, intimate marriage, it will require these characteristics. Love from the husband and reverence from the wife. You show me a husband that loves his wife, and a wife that reverences her husband, and I'll show you a very happily in love, intimate marriage relationship. Do you know, it's, I see some marriages that, you know, I've seen pictures of, you know, this old couple, or I've seen old couples walking down the street or, or you know, and walking, holding hands, or, or you know, and I there was an older couple I remember uh, he had part in our our wedding, and and 
he, he, when they were old, he still opened the car door for her, and he said, you might find us kissing on the street corner. There was love, and there was reverence in that home. But I see others that they bicker and argue. Why? There isn't love and there isn't reverence. There has to be both. And if there's these, and these are the keys to a good marriage where intimacy is enjoyed by both partners. You know, God wants us. You know, the marital relationship is, is for enjoyment, but it's also, of course, for procreation. But God wants us to enjoy our marriage relationship. And it is possible. But it requires both of us being obedient to verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, husbands, we have to submit to God and do what God has said. It is not conditional. Christ's love wasn't, isn't conditional. It isn't dependent on what I do. Oh, it's a lot easier when she always reverences you to love her, but that it ought not to be conditional. Nor should be it conditional for the wife. And of course, that takes you and I to be submitted to the Lord. Husbands, men, we need to love our wives. We love our wives. Love your wife. And wives, reverence. Worship, if you will, your husbands. It will bring great rewards to you and your children. Might God help us to have relationships, marriage relationships, family relationships that glorify and honor the Lord as we submit to him. Let's pray.